Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler, and today I have an interesting episode to share with you. I just had a conversation with a fascinating guy. His name is Paul Selig, and Paul is an author of many books, and he is a spiritual channeler and median, uh, you know, which to some, including myself, when you first hear that, you know, naturally should arouse some skepticism. Um, but in talking to Paul, you know, I, I think there is a lot to it that uh, we don't really have, we don't have a good understanding of, but that doesn't mean that it's not real. Uh, you know, what was interesting about Paul is that he's not one of these people that have come out of the spiritual realm uh, exclusively. He received his master's degree from Yale a number of years ago and was very much uh, deep in academia for you know, most of his career before uh, pivoting in this direction. And now he is uh, channeling or, or uh, audibly recording and transcribing many of his, all of his recent books, which I think is interesting in and of itself. And overall, I, I found this conversation with Paul to be very interesting, enlightening, and uh, makes me very curious to go to his events and, and learn more about, uh, you know, what he does and, and see how he interacts with crowds and everything. So, uh, you know, use your own judgment here and, and enjoy. Uh, I would always recommend keeping a skeptical mind as well as an open mind uh, with any of uh, anything with the word spiritual involved. But I really enjoyed this conversation with Paul. He's a really great guy and I encourage you to buy his books. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Paul Selig. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So for the listeners out there who are maybe not familiar with your work yet, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your background and, and where you're coming from? Well, I mean, I'm known as a, as a conscious channel. That's the work that I do now. I've, I've channeled or the guides that I work with have dictated now seven books that are in print through me. There's an eighth that's going to be out next year. And the books are the unedited transcript of these spoken lectures that are now done entirely in front of audiences. So that's what I'm sort of known for now. And they call me sort of a medium for the living because of some of the psychic stuff that I seem to be able to do. But I'm not somebody who came into this stuff with any expectation of it. I was a, you know, I was a, a Yaley. I was, you know... Uh, you know, I, I, I was an academic. I was teaching at NYU for 25 years. I had this other life um, that I assumed would always be my life. And um, I was doing this channeling stuff in my living room once a week. And I did it for about 18 years for a small group of people. I wasn't looking to be known for this. Um, and once the guide started dictating books through me, um, I became more public really just out of sheer necessity, not because it was something that I was seeking. I was raised sort of an atheist, and um, I'm still not very woo-woo, you know, in 
many respects. I mean, this is the work that I do. I see it some days as my job. It's how I show up for my life and this odd ability that I seem to be able to, to share with others very effectively. So that's a brief introduction. It's a much longer story and a weirder story, but that should give you enough to start with. Absolutely. I mean, that's uh, just from the outset, you know, it's a, it's an interesting take coming from a background of, you know, pure academia. Um, I wanted to see from your perspective, how would you define channeling for the audience? Yeah, well, channeling to me is quite literally taking dictation. You know, I'm pretty specific about my understanding of it. I, I, I think that some of what is called channeled is actually just inspired and inspired is being receptive to inspiration from, you know, the universe, whatever you want to call it, and then working with it. In the case of channeling, the guides I work with are actually speaking through me with very specific messages um, that I'm responsible for repeating, which means I don't get to go in and edit it. I don't get to go back and change it or craft it or make it make it special. I mean, if my guide said something, and if I was channeling for a book, and the books are now all done, you know, in front of audiences, um, and if the guides were to say, you know, the moon indeed is made of green cheese, I'm stuck with it. That's what goes in the book. I, of course, would say, what do you mean and how is that so? And they'd have to unpack it. But what I don't have in this work is the luxury of going back and sort of fixing things and erasing the words that are, you know, uncomfortable or don't quite make sense. So if you think of me as a radio, my job is to play a transmission. And I am the radio in expression when I'm channeling and what the station is that I'm playing or what I call the guides, which is, you know, the consciousness that comes through and delivers these books. If I were to work psychically and I were to tune into you, you would be the radio station that I'd be tuned into and I'd be hearing an aspect of you and then repeating what I was hearing at that level. But when I read for people, I'm interpreting more. When I'm channeling with the guides, I'm really not because I don't feel that that's my job. You know, um, when people ask, you know, do you write the text or do you rewrite the text? I say, they're not mine to rewrite. You know, my, my name is on the cover. I consider myself a collaborator because I'm present, it's not going to show up, at least in my presence, in my taking the dictation, but truthfully channeling, at least as I do, it is a form of stenography. I think all great art is inspired, you know, all true art is inspired and inspiration's great. But the difference, the difference I suspect with inspiration is you get to mess around with it. You get to make it your own. You know, my name can go on the inspired book as my book and now, my books say a channel text because really I'm there just whispering and repeating everything that I'm hearing a mile a minute. And then all of that gets transcribed and then put into a book. And that's what gets published. There may be three words that I misspeak in an entire text that get, you know, corrected. And it's usually because I was speaking so fast that I stumbled over a word or mispronounced it. And it's usually very apparent what the real word was you know, when we go back over the recordings. But um, that's what I do. You know, that's the work. That's channeling. Got it. Okay. So, I, I mean, I, I feel um, like I can wrap my head around that and how that works. I feel a, a natural thought that might come to a skeptic's mind is, uh, is, you know, how do you determine the difference between 
you know, your own internal monologue versus what you're receiving from the guides, as you call them? My own internal monologue is moderately fear-based. I worry about everything. And it has a bit of a different vocabulary than what I hear from the guides. So here's, this, here's the difference, what I'm channeling. It's as if there is one thought that sort of moves to the forefront of my consciousness that blocks out all the other thoughts. It's like somebody stepping in front of me, almost, and then repeating this one phrase. And I'll hear it repeated and repeated until I give it voice. The moment I give it voice, everything tumbles out on top of it. So, you know, I've had to question this whole process over the years. You know, I, I can be skeptical about many things, and I do question this stuff as well. I, I think I would be foolish if I didn't. But I truly don't think it's humanly possible for me to have closed my eyes and spoken eight entire books that require no editing and the last three in front of audiences, you know, with, with video records of the entire process. I mean, that's what happens. You know, I can't channel for myself effectively. Um, there needs to be an active listener. There needs to be somebody there. If I'm tuning in and I'm getting, trying to get information for myself personally, you know, that's when it gets tricky because I have my own hopes and fears and desires. And, you know, it's much easier for me to do this. I can read for you effectively because I'm neutral to the outcome. I don't care if you get back with your girlfriend or, you know, if, if you get the job you want. I'm happy to be supportive of you, but I can hear for you, you know, either my guides will talk or I'll hear an aspect of you talk. And then I'm in sort of divine neutral, you know, and then I'm basically a clean channel. When the guides come through, they're teachers, you know, they come through, they don't help me. They haven't told me what city to move to yet. I've been asking, you know, I don't get personal stuff. They haven't gotten me a date. I mean, all of the things I wish they would do, that's not happening. But what is happening is this sort of extraordinary teaching that seems to be helping a great many people at this point. So I understand um, the wishful thinking stuff and I encounter it. You know, I do meet people at times who, you know, feel that they're channeling and perhaps they're tuned into some aspect of themselves. But, you know, truthfully, can I say this? When I meet somebody and they say that they're channeling and then they, and then they tell me, you know, their guides are telling them that they're the, the incarnation of, you know, pick a famous deity or whatever, that tends to be low astral stuff. It's low level stuff that sort of appeals to the ego, which my guides don't do. And I'm very conscious of, you know, when people get messages that are fear-based, which I also think is lower. Then there's the other stuff, which is, you know, my guides are telling me that you and I are supposed to be in a relationship, which is probably, you know, the personality self trying to project some meaning in order to get what he or she wants. My guides don't people, they don't tell people what to do. They don't tell me what to do, which is frustrating, but they respect free will. And that's one of the keys, I think, when you're doing this kind of work, you know, it's, it's what level is it coming from? So, you know, I've asked every question one could, could ask around this whole thing. And I still have a somewhat uncomfortable relationship with what I do, because I may never fully understand it. 
But I do know that I show up a lot, like a lot, um, like three weekends a month I'm doing events and every Wednesday night I'm, I'm, I'm chairman all the time. I show up, I've had a terrible day, I've just had a fight with somebody, my dog just got put to sleep. I mean, you name it, it's happened and I have to show up and channel. And I sit there, I close my eyes and bang, it happens. And it happens in spite of me and through me anyway. And that's something I may never understand. You know, they don't miss a beat and they really haven't in all of these books, which are really a successive teaching. And I don't even know the title of most of the books until they say it. One of them I knew in advance because the publisher wanted it and I asked and they gave me a title, but that's it. You know, I've got a book that I've got to begin probably in three or four months. I have no idea what it's about. I have no idea what the title is. I just know that if it works like the prior ones has, it'll be dictated probably over the course of about 30 days of different workshops. I used to do them all every day in a row in my office. The first few were done on the phone with somebody taking notes and the recorder and the recordings would be transcribed. And as I said now, they're all done in these workshops that I do publicly. And so in one workshop, you know, I, I teach at the Esalen Institute a lot in Big Sur and they've done big chunks of books there. And last year, I think they did 80 pages in five days, uh, you know, and, you know, that's just what happened. And then I did another retreat in Costa Rica. About two weeks later, they did another 80 pages. It was half a book, you know, it was done over weekends or in live streams. You know, they'll, I'll, I'll channel and the guys will say, and yes, this is in the book, which means, okay, that's it. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, I'm curious, like you mentioned, you just close your eyes and and it just comes out. Is there any sort of preparatory ritual or anything, any state of mind or anything that that prompts sort of the a change in state or or the beginning of a channeled message? It depends on what level and how deep I'm in. If I'm reading for somebody, I always work with a little prayer protection before I channel, and that's simply. Um, because I, it's just, it's just, it's just sets a clean field that I like to work in. Um, if I'm reading for you, it's like I'm in the front seat of the car sharing the steering wheel with the guides. You know, we can go back and forth. When I'm lecturing, or the guides are lecturing through me, or there's a book dictation, it's, I actually often imagine myself climbing into the back seat of the car and turning the wheel over. And sometimes I'll occupy myself like with a magazine in the back seat. And if I hear something that's disconcerting or I can't believe or it doesn't make sense, I lean over to the front seat and I inquire. Then the guides will say, Paul is interrupting or Paul has a question. And often they'll take the question. Sometimes they'll say, we'll address this later, you know, which is fine. It's their teaching. Um, but I don't have a deep process. I, I get that this is something that I probably was prepared for prior to this life, you know, I get that some of us come in with a set of skills that perhaps have been developed in some other way or other time. When I was a kid, um, you know, in my 20s, I was a playwright and, um, and some into my 30s and, you know, but I doubt, but anyway, I was mostly a teacher by that point. But I used to, without knowing that I was doing it, find a piece of music that moved me. I put the one piece of music on loop on the CD recorder and play it again. I just like 
six hours at a time and just let my hands go. And what I was doing without knowing it was inducing a light trance. And I was working at an inspired level by getting out of the way. So in some ways, I learned somewhat through that process the ability to step out. And I think as a classroom teacher, which I did for a long time, and I was actually very good at it and loved it, you know, I learned about feeling and hearing in other ways that weren't logical, which had to do with knowing what people needed and accessing information, you know, psychically. But I didn't know, I didn't start, I mean, I've been doing this stuff since I was in my 30s, early 30s, in one shape or another. But it wasn't until I was 48, which is, you know, like 10 years ago now, maybe, something like that. Um, you know, I, I wasn't lecturing until, two, uh, until 2008, actually, when I started lecturing in, in channel. You know, I was doing the work. I was getting information. Energy was coming through. But I'd been a cigarette smoker and a heavy one. And when I quit smoking, everything opened up. That's when all the words tumbled out. And truthfully, what I had been doing was sort of suppressing my own, you know, energy system by all the toxicity. And once that was away... You know, um, you know, everything came fluidly. When I was 25, I quit drinking and doing drugs. And that's when psychic ability appeared. That's how that happened to me. Once I wasn't quite so bleary, suddenly I had access to other parts of myself. And, you know, many people who are sensitive, you know, I will do anything that I can find to dull the sensitivity because it's not easy sometimes operating at that level. But once you learn to, it can be an enormous gift, you know, and that's what it's been for me, you know, with its ups and downs, but I'm grateful for it. Do, do you feel that this is, because I, I think there's a lot of, I lean on the side of believing that there's a lot of unexplained phenomenon, especially about humans and our brains and the way they, we communicate and the way that we interact with each other. And there's a lot of things that just because we cannot measure it does not mean that it's not real. Um, and any, once you start talking about any sort of psychic phenomena, I think there's a whole group of people that just immediately cast those down because they're, you know, not measurable, the scientific method or whatever. Uh, but then there's a group of people that, uh, are open to it. And, um, and I feel like being open to it is a sort of prerequisite to having sort of any experience with it. And then my question though, for you is, uh, you know, of the people that are sort of open to this way of thinking in this, in this reality, is there, uh, do you believe that it's like channeling in general is a skill that is, uh, or maybe it's something that happens naturally to all people and some people are more sensitive to it, or do you feel that it is, uh, is different than that? My, my hunch is it's a skill set that gets developed through use. I think you probably, some people have the capacity for it and the propensity for it. I mean, I'm not six foot four. I'm probably never going to be a basketball player. You know what I mean? Somebody's built for the job, you know? And I seem to be built for this job in some weird way. Now, you know, when I work, and this is an odd thing about when I work, there's an energy that comes that's very present and very palpable. I mean, everybody can feel it. The whole room can feel it. And the guides work with these things they call attunements. And what they're doing is they're tuning the radios that everybody is to play the broadcast that they come with, which is a higher energy. You know, it's a, call it, you know, the true self, they call it. The true self is who and what you are, is very much their teaching. 
But I've done groups with a few hundred people and the guides attune the entire audience and everybody's feeling it. And when you begin to have your own experience of phenomena, that changes everything. You see, I was enough of a skeptic and enough of a cynic that I needed proof. And when I was 25, I'd had a bit of an opening. I was already believing that there might be something more. You know, I'd started praying for the first time in my life. I heard a voice telling me what to do. I did it, which shocked me. It helped, which shocked me. And I heard there was this happening, thing happening in 1987, when before you were probably born, called harmonic convergence. And I heard people were gonna be waking up. And I thought, well, if there is a God or something like a God and you ask to be woken up, why the fuck would it wanna say no? You know, why would it didn't make any sense to me. Why would it not want you to say, hello, I'm here, I'd like to wake up. So I went up to the roof of this building that I was living in when I was 25, and I asked to be woken up. And, you know, I had a crystal and a mantra. Somebody had given me both of those things. I thought you needed them. But I ended up having a bit of an experience of energy. And it was energy sort of moving through my body and out through the top of my head. And it was very physical. And I, you know, people said it sounds like it was a, a Kundalini awakening. It was a Kundalini mantra that I was working with. I didn't even know what Kundalini was or yoga was back in those days. I was completely out of it. But it may have been me hyperventilating for all I know. I may never know. But I started seeing little lights around people after that. And so feeling energy, hearing a voice, telling me to get my act together and it working, and then, you know, seeing these little lights were enough to make me go, okay, there's something more than I have been taught. It was that simple, you know? I was basically a materialist, you mm -hmm. know? You know, and I didn't come from, you know, a happy spiritual family, far from it. You know, we looked down on people in my family who prayed, you know? I think I went to church once for Christmas to hear a mass, to hear the court, to hear the choir. And I had a freaky one year in a parochial school when I was nine um, because it was a good school when I was there for a year. And then I was taken out and sent some to myself. But very no, no understanding at all of what a spiritual life was, why one would have one or why one would need or want one. It was out of my out of my register completely. So I needed something that I could trust. And I think that that's important. You know, I'm not a guru. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I really could care less if anybody believes in what I'm doing. Anyway, I can't care. I've got enough problems without worrying about that. All I can do is do my best to show up in my integrity in this work, which I can't claim to fully understand either, let alone convince others of. But I will say, and I do believe that this is so, if you ask to open up, if you ask, there's a strong likelihood it's going to happen. And it may be entirely inconvenient to the life that you've been living. You know, that seems to be the deal breaker with this stuff. You want this stuff, great, you can have it, but you might have to begin to understand that life isn't quite what you thought. And that's the challenge because we're deeply attached to who we think we are and what we think we are and how the world's supposed to be. And I don't know that you can have that and then claim what's sort of on the other side of the bridge, which is a whole sort of other way of understanding how things might work. So, you know, in my case, 
very little of this stuff has been convenient to me, you know, and what I thought. I thought I was supposed to be living quite a different life than I ended up living. And I'm not upset about the life that I'm living. I'm grateful for it. But it wasn't even on the radar, you know. You don't get get a master's degree for this. You know what I mean? It's a whole other thing. I mean, it's the title of your show. It's just, you know, I wasn't... I wasn't prepared and I was completely prepared for what I do now without even knowing it. And I do think that it's available or spirit or spiritual life of some kind is available to anyone who asks it, you know, asks for it or invites it in. I agree with that as well. I think there's uh, something that is bound to happen when you open your mind uh, up to, uh, something like that like by just asking you know it sort of gives yourself the opportunity to experience something like that whether it's you know explainable or not how would you how would you explain you know i think it's sort of impossible again it's sort of one of these things we can't measure we don't know exactly but i mean how would you explain or what's your perspective on how you know the guides work you know i'm i'm a big fan of stephen pressfield and his book the war of art um where he talks about muses and and you know sort of how the some, you know, like creative energy can bless an artist, you know, for different reasons, things like that. I'm open to uh, that kind of uh, way of thinking. Uh, how would you explain or, or try to, how do you imagine that this even works? You know, sort of these outside frequencies, you know, delivered to people's minds. You know, because I don't really understand how it works for me. I mean, the fact that what's coming through me is what it is. And in such a decided, they never, I don't think they've contradicted themselves once in eight books. I mean, that's sort of extraordinary. It's thousands and thousands of pages of, of dictation at this point. But I know that it's, I think it's done through alignment and request. So, you know, the radio isn't trying to play the station. Do you get that? There's no effort. You turn the dial, you align yourself, which is your consciousness, your vibrational field, to that potential. And then that potential is available to you. Now, my plays when I was a kid, they were dark and filthy and funny and all of those things. I think I was writing about transcendence then without even knowing that that's what I was writing about. That was probably the theme of, of that time of my life. But for me at that time, it was transcendence through partying or madness or something, you know, because the idea of a God was an impossibility. Or even that word isn't the best word or something more, whatever you want to call it. So I was aligning every time I sat down to the muse or to inspiration to be with me. And in fact, it was. And one day it wasn't. And that was the end of that for me. I had the worst case of writer's block and creative block than anybody I've ever met in my life. And it was devastating to me and a source of great shame because I had been quite talented. And I find the irony now that I can sit, sit down, close my eyes and dictate an entire book that requires no editing in a matter of days. Hysterically funny. I mean, talk about a pendulum swing, you know? But in yeah. some this has all been about my learning to get out of the get out of the way. When I was a kid and I was doing my own work, I thought it was all me. You know, it was me. I had, you know, I was I, my self importance, my self worth, my 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 was very wrapped up in that stuff. 
That's not the case now with this. I show up, this thing happens or it doesn't. And I think that's true, you know, with the arts. I mean, you have to show up for your art if you're going to make art and then allow it to come through. You can't, you can make it happen. You're probably kind of a hack if that's what you're doing. You know, you can do anything by numbers or give people what they, you think, what you think they're supposed to want. You know, that's not necessarily inspired art. That can be craftsmanship. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just a different way of working. But what you're speaking about is opening. And I do think the request to be open and also the belief or the faith or at least the willingness to believe that there's something more that can uh, you can be addressed through or you can tune into as a part of that because you wouldn't do that if you didn't believe there was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Artists, real artists, know what they feel when they're really working well, like they're getting out of their own way and it's just sort of happening through them. You know, I think Stephen King used to talk about falling through the page. He used to describe it that way. It was odd sort of experience of losing time, you know. And that I always feel is when you know you're doing the right thing. You know, when you're not looking at your watch, when you're losing time, when you're just so present for it, that that's all there is. That's the wonderful place to be. And that can be, frankly, somebody who's, you know, you know, a jockey at the races can experience that just as well as, you know, you know, the parenting their child or, or the creative artists. I think it comes in different ways for different people. Yeah, it's just, it's that flow state that, you know, there, there has been some, you know, scientific, ex, you know, experimentation and, and look into like, what is flow stakes? It's a, it's a state shared by top performers in every single field, um, mm-hmm. which is sort of interesting to think that, you know, everyone's mind sort of experiences a similar, some similar characteristics when they're doing something that they're uh, operating at a very high level in that, you know, field, whether it's a Stephen King writing a book, you know, if it's, uh, you know, Tom Brady throwing a football, like whatever it is, or they're experiencing a similar mental uh, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So tell me about your, your most recent book here. This is your most recent book now, right? Realization or beyond the known realization. The beginning of a trilogy. The second book of the trilogy is coming out in August of this next year. And then there'll be another, I don't know what that is yet. Um, the guides are teaching realization, and it's it's a pretty heady teaching, and I haven't really talked about their teachings here thus far, so I should probably sort of introduce sure. the ideas that might help me talk or be understood when I talk about the latest book. I mean, the guides from the very beginning have said this sort of crazy thing. They say... They use the term Christ at different times, but their definition of it is the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form. The divine spark, they call it the monad, the true self, the eternal self, whatever it is, the God within, for lack of a better word. And they say that that is an event, that the Christ in humanity is an event that happens. And I didn't know what that meant. I thought, you know, they're saying, well, we get to be a little bit more spiritual. Maybe we'll be nicer to each other. But they say humanity is at a time of reckoning. And they said this 10 years ago. They said a reckoning is a facing of oneself and all of one's creations. And that everything that's been created in fear needs to be renowned in a higher way. 
and the, what they're going through, what we're going through now. And they started speaking about this about four years ago and five years ago in books. It's been fairly on the money is sort of a disassembling of the structures that we've given great authority to that are failing us. You know, whether it be religion or politics, how we law, how we, we treat one another, all of these things are now being sort of restructured, renowned. And, um, you know, the guides say, you know, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's the height of hypocrisy. That's the problem with all religions. Well, not all, but how religions, many religions have come to express themselves. They say that the, the, the core of any religion is truth, is what I've been told. But what's been done with it, not necessarily so. So what they're teaching, quite simply, is a reclamation of the true self as who and what you are. The divine is who, which is identity, and the divine as what, which is form and matter. They say God is all things, whatever you want to call God, that energy is all things, or it can't be anywhere. You, you don't get to pick and choose, you know? So the, the, there's, they say there's one note being played in the entire universe, and it's expressing itself as anything and everything that we see or imagine. It's all in articulation. The word they say in articulation is matter is manifestation. What they're teaching in realization is, is beginning to teach us how the manifest world is reclaimed through consciousness. And the one who can reclaim the manifest world, which is everything in form, is the one they say who knows who he truly is or who has aligned, as I said earlier, tuned in an alignment to their true nature. When you stop experiencing yourself as separate from source, you actually can't perceive anyone else as separate either. It's not possible. In other words, the divine sees the divine in all manifestation. The process of re-seeing, um, they call that realization. Realization is equivalent to knowing with a capital K to know something, to truly know it is to realize it, and you're knowing it or realizing it at its true level of essence. And that means beyond the codification, the naming of things, the meaning things have been endowed with culturally. Do you understand this? So I can look at you and I can say, you know, you're, you're a Caucasian male, you're such and such an age, you have, you know, brown hair, you speak English, I can know you through all of these things. But you would probably say, but hey, that's not who I am. I yep. know that. And so what we're doing is we're restoring our own availability to our true essence, the who that you truly are beyond the transient. And I used to have, you know, white brown hair too. Now I don't. Do you know what I mean? I used to be your age. Yep. I'm, you know, these ways of knowing the self are are actually limited to move to the eternal self or the true self, which is the claim, I know who I am, I realize who I am. They actually talk about that as part of an attunement. The self that knows who he is as the divine self, what he is as an expression of source, because, you know, it's easier for me to say that the tree out the window is divine, not me in this current body, you know, but the guides say, if you deny the inherent divinity of form of your own expression, you're actually automatically denying it and everything else that you see. 
You can't know that the holiness of the tree if you've denied the holiness of your skin and your blood and, you know, the form that you've taken. You see, everything is of source. So yeah. what is once you get to that place, they're really teaching this alchemical act of lifting what you encounter to what they call the upper room, which is a higher octave of expression. So I'll explain this really simply, because this will, this will probably encapsulate it better than anything I've said thus far. Sure. Guys are saying we're operating in an octave, a musical octave of tone, high notes and low notes, you know, and that is our shared reality. So the New Agers are saying, you know, you create everything, it's all your stuff. And the guides I work with say, well, yes, you're creating and contributing to everything, but there's also the collective agreement. So what it means to be a man, what, what an ocean is, what a good day is versus a bad day, all of that's born in collective inherited wisdom, data, whatever it is. And we're replicating all of this stuff again and again because we've been so moored into this belief in separation, which is I'm separate from you, you're separate from me, we're separate from them, which is all the guides say the denial of the divine. You know, they say our only problem is humanity is the denial of the inherent divine. If we got, got past that, that's nothing about religion. That just means we're made of the same stuff. That's it. Everything is. So this is this octave that we're operating in. What the guides are doing in this new book is they're lifting us to what they call the upper room, which is the octave above. And that's done through vibrational attunement. Again, it's usually quite physical. You can feel the energy. And once you go to the upper room, once you align at that level of consciousness and vibration, you're able to lift what you encounter to it. And it's a simple teaching to understand. The guides say, what you damn, damns you back. So if I want to call somebody evil, I can do that, but then I'm aligning to the evil that I claim them as. And that's, that's vibrational accord. Can't be other, you know? So what I have to do instead is go above, realize the inherent divine and the one that my personality self has been taught to know as evil, and realize or know who he or she truly is which is of source, which they say transposes the music or the tone of the individual. So the guides say every note or every song can be played in a higher octave up into infinity. There's no end to that. And all they're doing with us in these teachings is they're transposing the tone or the language of who we are to be played in a higher octave. And because everything operates with vibrational accord, you know, it's called, I think in science it's called entrainment. You go to the higher, I think that's the term. Once you're at the higher, by nature of where you're operating from, you lift what you encounter to it. So the reclamation of the divine is the teaching. The guides talk about the kingdom, and this is their language, and they say the kingdom is the realization of the inherent divine in all manifestation. That's all it's ever been. It's here. It's just another level of another another level of consciousness or vibration. I guess you could call it dimension. But they say it's here now. It's always been here, but we have to align to it. The one who aligns to the kingdom actually calls it into manifestation through every encounter he or she has. Phew. So that's a that's <laughs> the basis of it, you know. Yeah, got it. So um just to 
you know, break that down even further. So, or to see if that I understand correctly, there is, uh, as you're describing, there is sort of high frequency and low frequency within everything. Exactly. And that's different like concepts, different ideas on sort of a scale or, or how would you break down each one of those? Like what is something that is high frequency versus low frequency? Love and love is high fear as well. It's pretty, yeah. pretty at that level. I mean, the guides do this thing. I'll do it. I'll show it to you. You can try it yourself. I've never done this in a live interview. It's pretty good. another work. But the guides teach this thing called the mudra of creation, you know, and they say we're always creating right? We're always calling things to us. That's what vibration does. Consciousness does. And, you know, so um, how can I say this? So the example they used once was, you know, imagine you're floating on your belly on a raft in the ocean and you're call everything exists in the same ocean as you, right? You're in the ocean, everything's in the ocean with you. And this is how you call the current to you. That's it. Very simply. So they say we're always manifesting, right? It's not this new age trick to get something. We're always doing it. So they so they talk about this. So just do this if you want, and I'll show it to you. They cry. I'm going to make you do something embarrassing on your show. So the guy, so say say this. I have a right to be here. Just say. I have a right to be here. And just feel how your arms go. And now say nobody else has the right to be here. Nobody else has the right to be here. And if you notice, your arms are probably getting heavier, which is what happens with a low claim. Do you understand this? See? I understand and that. Everybody has a right to be here. Everybody has the right to be here. You might find your arms getting lighter. It's a high claim. You see what I mean? So we're always operating. We're always calling things into being and play with this. It's interesting. It always seems to work. And they do it with bunches of people and, you know, the same thing happens. So within this gradation of reality, we're always choosing. That's it. Now what the guides are doing is they're actually moving us above our idea of the high note to what they call the upper room. And they say, you know, it's like, imagine that there's a false drop ceiling where you live, you know, and what you're doing is you're sort of putting a hand through the drop ceiling to what expresses beyond that. But you don't do that if you don't know that you're allowed to. And for the most part, we don't know that we're allowed to. You know, I wasn't brought up to believe that it was okay to believe in this stuff. For me, that sort of changed everything. I and mean, I had these experiences that helped me trust it a bit. But I'm still learning and still trusting it as, I, as I'm going forward. So the claim, one of the claims the guides work with is the claim, I am free, I am free, I am free. But what you're claiming freedom from is freedom from the collective data that says you're not allowed to go beyond what you've been taught. Do you understand that? And that's the challenge. I mean, some people are having these big experiences, you know, with plant medicine and things like that, where they're just sort of journeying beyond what the perceived reality was. And yeah, nothing part of my path. Um, it's for, for, for a number of reasons, maybe one day it will be, but it's not right now. And I'm not planning on it, but I've had a lot of people come to workshops and say the experience they're having with the energy in the workshops is comparable to what they experienced on a journey. And people who are reading the books who are saying, this is what I knew when I was journeying. This is the information I knew and that I'm seeing. So, so you've had no experience with any like psychedelic 
plants or anything? No. When I was in college, I, when I was in college and, and early in high school and college, I did everything you get your hands on. I was, you know, I was a partying kid, but no, at 25, I stopped everything. And part of the reason I don't, and it's not because I believe that these things are addictive because I don't, it's not my concern, but it's a door that's been kept closed for me and for a good reason, you know, and also I don't even know how my system is wired to do what I do. You know, I almost don't want to mess with the wiring. And I sort of feel that if this were something that were for me to do, I would just know it. You know, I'd go, yep, this is part of my path and I'm, I'm onto it now because I'm not shy about those things. I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, I'm, I'm quite a private person who's become public through this work um, because that's been the requirement of the work. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, keep my journey what I would have it be, but I'm beyond, you know, there's, there's so much video of me channeling online at this point. I'm never going to get another job in academia again. I don't <laughs> care, you know. I mean, that was what I, this is what I had to learn was to let go of some of that stuff. So anyway, that's where I'm at with this stuff at the moment, but ask me in a year or two if I change. Where, where do you, uh, that was going to be my next question. I mean, where do you see, you know, the, the results of your work leading to, let's say, five or ten years down the road? I have no idea. I'm still surprised that I show up at a workshop and there are people there. And I am so surprised. What, when and where do you do these workshops? I'm all over the world now. I do th like three weekends a month. I'm somewhere, you know, and on my website, which is just my name, has a calendar, which is usually, you know, good for about four months. But, you know, I'm, I'm booked to a year in advance with these things. So every city pretty much in the States, I'm in London, I'm in Costa Rica, I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in all these places. I'm looking at Australia now. It's just these places, wherever I'm invited, I try to go. That's pretty much it. But I'm still surprised that people have found this work and that it's helping them. And I'm a little confounded by it. But, you know, I also have, you know, six, seven books out now with my name on the cover that I really didn't write, you know, and that's a freaky feeling. Like when people say, wow, your work's really changed my life. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they should be looking at the person behind me. You know, I don't yeah. really can't take credit, but I'm grateful for, the, for their happiness. And I show up for this and I understand that I have a part in it. But it's a, it's a funny thing. So, yeah, people, you know, where, where do I think I'll be? I hopefully, I'll tell you where I hope I am, in a deeper acceptance of this work, having integrated more of these teachings. They've taught so much through me and so fast. It's been almost a book a year that's come through. And, you know, my mind is spinning half the time from it, let alone my ability to say, wow, yes, I'm going to really go off and work with this now. I can barely keep up with the dictation some days, but I'm hoping because I work with it and I'm feeling it now and I'm in a good place with it all right now. I'm quite aware of the benefits of this work at this moment in my life. Other times I've gone, what the hell is this? You know, how can this be so? But so I hope, you know, in a few years I've integrated more 
Um, and I hope that the work is understood for what it is, which is just a loving teaching of deep transformation. This isn't self-help. This isn't how to get a better job or better abs or any of those things. It's not about conquering the manifest world. It's about realizing who you truly are, you know, at the cost perhaps of who you thought and then having a somewhat different relationship with the manifest world and everyone else as a result, which the guides say is, you know, your true expression, the divine self or the true self that has come as you, that is seeking its expression. The guides say how any of us truly serves is, you know, how we're most fully expressed as our true selves. You know, it's not about having the great job and having, you know, the perfect partner. All of those things can be had and they can be learned through. They're all opportunities to learn. But I don't think that that's why we're born. I think that's a really stupid aspiration, finally, you know, because these things are transient. They come and go, you know. So, but they're all great to experience and great to learn through. I just think we're here for a bit more than that. So how would you describe uh, what you feel we are here to do? I think we're here to form. I think this is school and I think it's going to happen anyway. And I think you learn through your choices. We have free will and that's one of the ways we learn. But if I want to make my value as a human being predicated on whether or not I get the promotion or the, par the partner that looks the certain way or the body that does the certain thing, I'm not going to be a happy human being. And basically, I'm putting all of my value into things that are effectively transient. You know, I mean, they're great to have and they're fun to experience. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think that that's the purpose. I think that it can all be experienced and chosen. I mean, the guys I work with, they're tricky. I mean, they say, you know, the rich man and the beggar are both learning lessons of abundance, but in very different ways. And they say, it's you that make one higher or better than the other. It's a cultural dictate, you know, because we're taught to value these things. And then we end up, they say, hoarding what we have, you know. I mean, they do say we're our brother's keeper. And that's it. You know what I mean? So I think we're here to learn, and I think we're here to realize who and what we truly are. And I suspect that may not have anything whatsoever to do with religion and everything to do with probably an awakening to our own nature beyond what we've been taught to believe is so you know, very important in a culture. Well, I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's – Certainly an interesting area to explore. And I think uh, we're certainly, if there's ever a time for people to be open to this way of thinking, uh, it's, it's right now where, you know, there's, there seems to be a big shift in, in people's mentality and towards spirituality and towards religion and towards, uh, you know, just uh, ultimately fulfillment and happiness and trying to find those things. I think, you know, right. now it's a, a unique time for all of that and all those uh, ways of thinking. With your work, where can people, where should people find you if they want to, you know, I'm curious about it myself, find out, you know, or attend one of your events. What should they, what would they expect? What is, uh, where do they find out more? 
Well, my website's my name. It's paulselig.com, P-U-L-S-E-L-I-G.com. There's a calendar of events. There's links to the books, although you can get the books on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere. Bookstores are online. Um, I channel on Wednesday nights and take questions, and I'm told that the energy is as palpable in that form as it is in a live event. So, you know, people show up every Wednesday, you know, for this, and that information's online as well. Um, what happens- is that, in- that a live stream on Wednesday? It's a live stream channeling. Um, I do it, you know, I do it in blocks of four to five weeks. Sometimes I take a week off after four or five weeks and catch my breath, but they're always teaching and progressively so. So there'll be one next week and the week after that. And, you know, all that's online. Um, And what happens in a workshop is if it's, it depends. I do evenings, I do day long things. I do a lot of weekends, I do longer retreats, but usually at the beginning of a workshop, the guides will come through, they'll talk about what they're going to teach. They'll get everybody attuned to the energy and working with it so that you can play the station. And once you're attuned, you're always attuned. You always have access. And the books are the attunements too. You don't need me. You can do it in the books or, you know, it's probably videos that attune people up there by now. Um, And then they teach. And then they have you again work with the teaching. So if they're going to teach... For example, the divine as form, the manifest that, you know, whatever you want to call God is also the body of your body and the body of, say, the partner that you're working with in the workshop. They'll teach you how to work with the energy so that you can experience that. It's it's a trip. They call it the echo. You can literally feel this, the teaching, what you bless, blesses you in return. There's actually a physical affect to this. You can feel the waves of energy come back at you. So there's a lot of energy work, a lot of teaching, and they take a whole lot of questions, both on their teachings and on how things work sort of cosmically, and also a lot of questions on people's lives, which I step in for a bit of that because some of that's a bit more psychic. So if you're estranged from your girlfriend, you give me your girlfriend's name, I can tune into your girlfriend, I might start to look like her, I can hear her, and I tell you what I'm hearing, and I can sort of broker a higher conversation. It's not psychic spying, it's it's actually done at a high level and it's, it's quite effective. So I do a lot of that stuff. So that's what happens in a workshop. Um, but they're all over the place, you know, and, and um, I, I like them because it's an opportunity to be with other people who are waking up to who they truly are. I love it. Well, I'd definitely be curious to check one out myself, uh, if not in person over a live stream. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's interesting stuff that you do, Paul. I think it, it's, uh, it's definitely worth exploring and for even for skeptics out there of this sort of, uh, you know, what we've talked about here, I think it's, you know, just uh, reemphasize just cause you can't measure it uh, or we don't have a super clear explanation for it does not mean that it's not uh, real and has real effects. Um, I, so, I don't know. We have, we may, there may be the technology. What's coming out of me is so physically palpable that I'm assuming it can be measured. And I'd love to be wired up at some point to find out because I'm interested, but I just don't think it's yet. I don't, I think frankly, science and consciousness and spirituality are all intersecting in really interesting ways. So what, where, where in the world are you, Patrick? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm going to be in Los Angeles next month and there's a workshop. So if you want to come, you're welcome. We just have oh, to get fantastic. It. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you.
ask and it's there. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Well, Paul, before we, uh, before we wrap up, is there any, any final asks or requests or, uh, words of wisdom or anything for the audience out there? Not for me, you know, I, I mean, I'm just trying to do my best to show up for my own life. So I'm, I don't have the answers. I'll ask the guides if they have anything and they, cause they haven't made an appearance yet. Will we? I just heard nor will we. So I guess we're not doing channeling on your show tonight. Um, I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say one thing for your listeners. Cause if there's one thing that's helped me that the guides teach, um, it, it, that I'm, I'm able to work with effectively, it's this. And the guides say the action of fear is to claim more fear. And they say, look at every choice you've ever made in fear and see that it got you more of the same. So one of the easiest ways to move beyond fear is to stop choosing from it. Do you understand? It's a simple teaching and it works. Okay. Yeah, I love it. I think that's a great piece of information there. Thank you for sharing it. Well, Paul, thank you again for your time today. This has been an enlightening experience and I look forward to, uh, you know, seeing more of your, of, you know, the work that you help produce come out and uh, diving into that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.